It's so good to be together again, and it is great to see you here. We're especially thankful to those that are visiting with us, and we want to invite you back at any opportunity that you might have. This morning, I would invite you to go ahead and open your, your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We'll be noticing the church at Smyrna in verses 8 through 11, which Jordan Hollowell just read for us. As we consider the church at Smyrna, think about when life goes bad. As you think about the people there, by all definitions in the world's mind, Smyrna understood what it was to have a bad life. The question in the life in which we live today isn't whether or not life will ever go bad, but it's rather what's the next bad thing that's going to happen? What's the next downturn? What's the next downfall? What's the thing that is going to be a curveball that comes our way? It just so happens that life doesn't always go how you want it to. It was a few weeks ago, might have been last week or two weeks ago, uh, when I got into my trailer to look for a few tools, I realized that life had gone bad. Someone had gotten into my trailer and there were not near as many tools as there were before. However, it worked out and the police did find that, but for a moment, I felt like my life was terrible. There are times in life where things don't go exactly how you plan. I know you probably have stories that you can think of right now, things going on in your life, and you understand that there are times that are really tough. Well, I want you to notice with me this morning in Revelation chapter 2, the church at Smyrna. Let's start out with the greetings from Christ. In verse 1, we have really just the, I mean, in verse 8, we have the beginning of a letter, so to speak. In this day and time, in this time period, they didn't write letters quite how we would. If I was to write a letter to my wife, it would say, Dear Anna. And then I'd get to the end and I would close it with, Love, Jared. In this day and time, when they started a letter, it started out more like, Jared, your husband and father of Charlie. And then you would go through the letter. They greeted, they began the letter with a greeting of who they were. So if you notice in Revelation chapter 2, in verse 8, it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things, says the first and the last, who is dead and came to life. We have nothing more here than the very beginning, the dear Anna. Here he says, he identifies himself. He says, These things say the first and the last. We can understand that this is making reference to Christ. The description here that is given is the description of Christ, the first and the last. You can think back to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. We see here that we have Jesus, the Word, there in the beginning, from the beginning of creation, Jesus was there. We can go take that one step further and we'll realize that Jesus was there before the beginning of creation. But here as we start the letter, we see the description of Christ that is given. It really points to that of his eternal nature. You should be right there close. If you go back a little bit in Revelation chapter 1, it says in verse 8, it says, Jesus speaking here, he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. You notice the three aspects. It says, which is currently. 
that's Christ, which was previously and which is to come in the future. He covers all aspects. Within the beginning of this letter to the church at Smyrna, the whole idea is pointing to the eternality of Christ. He was eternal. He was there from before the beginning, and he will be there through forever. I say the end, but there's no such thing as an end when you talk about eternity. So we have here the very beginning of the letter where we see Jesus, the Almighty, the eternal being that is writing, that is pinning or giving this letter. You can look in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. At the end of Revelation 2 and verse 8 it said, Who was dead and came to life. So we're considering the point of Christ and death which could not hold him. Because it wasn't, it wasn't nails that held Christ to the cross. It wasn't the cross that killed him, although it killed him physically. Spiritually, he lives on. If you would, if you'd look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, it says, Him being delivered by the, ter- the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he could be held by it. Jesus was not held by death because he was much greater. He overcame death when he rose again. So because of that, as we see these greetings from Christ, we understand that it's Christ. It's the one that was not, was not finished by death. He was the one that was risen again. He was the first and the last. We understand then that the, the beginning of this letter we're talking about the Messiah. The writer is Christ. Let's go on to verse 9 and we get into a little more of the text and what's really going on and we'll notice the knowledge of Christ. In Revelation 2 and verse 9 you can notice and read it with me. It says, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty. Notice he says, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say the Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. By human standards, by the way we look at it in the world today, living, living upon earth, I see two, two words that stick out in my mind. He says, I know your works, but then he says, I know your tribulation and poverty. The point is, they had it bad. Life wasn't going good like the American dream. Life wasn't going good as they had hoped for. But rather, he says, they had tribulation and poverty. Now, by the way we look at it, that sounds terrible, but when he draws back, he says, but you are rich. What's he talking about? Remember at the very beginning, it says, I know your works. I know what you do. I know what's going on. And because of that, he comes back around and he counts them as people who are rich. They're well off because of their works, because of their faith, because there's something much greater than tribulation and there's something much more important than poverty. Poverty and tribulation didn't hold them back because they had a faith in God. Christ knew of their true riches. That's the point. Christ knew what they were really blessed by. As you look through the end of the verse, 
It talks about some others that were caught up in something else. It says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of a, of, are a synagogue of Satan. All right, the point here being that we had these Jews, and understand that the, the Jews had the old law to study just as we do today. We can open the Old Testament, and from that Old Testament, we see everything that points to the Messiah. So these people who were Jews, he says they're Jews, but they are not. They're not Jews because they didn't do what the law asked of them. The law pointed to the Christ so that they could follow the Messiah. But they didn't mold their lives after that pattern. When the Messiah came, they, de they denied him. The Jews were to have given their life to Christ when he came about. Ju Judaism, in fact, pointed to the Messiah, but these wicked ones were not God's people. They were not God's chosen one. They were not the Jews any longer because they didn't choose to live how God had intended. When Judaism died, Christians became God's chosen people. Because Christ suffered and gave his life on the cross, we are then to follow that new law. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 28, it actually has something, something to say about the Jews. It says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither of the circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and the circumcision is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but to God. The Jew, the proper Jew, is the one that follows God's word. The one that is a Christian today is God's chosen people because we are obedient to his commands. They were to walk according to God's word, to God's rule or authority. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 16 it says, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them. Peace was on them, mercy on them, and upon the Israel of God, the chosen God's chosen people. The question is, what are we today? You know, the Jews, people that knew the law well, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9, these, these people of God who were known to have been people of God are counted as people of the synagogue of Satan. Why? Because they didn't follow the book. They were studying from the old law and they weren't willing to, To become a follower of Christ. Today as Christians, we can be not willing to follow God's word. We follow all the pieces we like, but yet if there's something that, that doesn't mold quite to our lifestyle, like the, the way we like it, we say, well, I don't think that's what it means. I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think that's what I have to do. The Jews were in trouble that although they were once the chosen of God, they were in, trou in trouble because they hadn't molded their life after God's plan. So we see the knowledge of Christ, and he talks about how these people being in poverty were rich. These people going through tribulation, he's counted them as rich because they have a great faith. Notice at the very beginning it says, he knows. Sometimes it seems like you just wish you could hide from everybody. 
You just wish that you could do one thing and no one would know it was you. The point is, within Christ, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9, he knew their works. Whether good works or bad works, we're talking about good works in this, in this context, but whether good works or bad works in your life, God knows. God knows what we do, and therefore, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we've got to live like Christ is right beside us. We've got to be a Christian, an example for all those that we're around. Not only do we notice that there's the knowledge of Christ, but go one step further and let's notice in verse 10 the suffering for Christ. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, Do not fear any of those things which you will suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. I don't know what you've been told, but I want you to understand one thing. Christianity is not easy. When you look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, as he talks about the, the straight, meaning difficult, narrow way, there's, there's a narrow way that God has designed in which we can go home and live with him forever. Christianity is not going to be just a breeze where we say, oh, well, as long as you get immersed in water, your life is golden and just go live any way you want. As long as you're willing to uh, confess that Jesus is Lord, you can do anything you want. Within Christianity, we've got to understand that it's an uphill battle the whole way. We've got to understand that it's a fight that we have to keep pressing on. You have to understand that it's a race, which is a race of an endurance where you can never stop running. When everything is easy, you got to beware. You know, there have been times where people counted things as easy. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 26, it says, Woe unto you when men say well of you, when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Don't use people thinking you to be a good person as your barometer. Don't use it as the thing that, that makes you decide whether or not I'm living right because people like me. Don't think just because the preacher says good job that that means everything's a-okay. Rather, the way we gauge it has to be off of God's Word. People can be wrong. People can say the wrong things. And yet, we can look at God's Word and know the truth. Don't choose to live according to what I say, but choose what you see God says. When everything is tough, it's time to be proud of where you're, at, where you're at. You know, when you suffer for God, there is nothing greater than that suffering that takes place. It's somewhat of a paradox in my mind to be thankful when you're suffering, to be thankful uh, when things are going bad. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Then it goes on to say, but let him glorify God on his behalf. Be thankful for their suffering as a Christian. It's still hard for me to fathom. It's hard for me to understand, but yet, 
As I think about the suffering of Christ, Brother Lee Seegers read just a few moments ago as, as we see the suffering at the crucifixion or right, right up to the crucifixion, and I can see that there's, there's a little bit of happiness in knowing that I'm suffering for the man that was willing to die for me. There's a little bit, there's a little bit of hope in knowing that Christ was willing to do all this and all that we go through is a little bit of suffering while we live here. When everything hurts, though, we need to be comforted. We can still find comfort in the moments of tribulation. You see, in Revelation 2.10, it talks about the suffering that was going to come to them, and it was going to come for a period of time. It's mentioned there as a period of time for 10 days. But through that period of time, the point is, you have to keep going. You have to keep enduring. When everything hurts and you're looking for comfort, think of John chapter 14 and verse 18 through 19. It says, I will not leave you comfortless, Jesus says. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Let a little while and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me because I live. Ye shall live also. Comfort in Christ. Why is that? Because there is hope for the future. Just because someone ridicules you just because someone looks down upon you and even in revelation chapter 2 verse 10 where they go to the point where they had to give their life for christ they could understand that that short time of tribulation that they went through was nothing in comparison to eternity suffering for christ is a blessing it's a tough one it's a tough one to understand. It's a tough one to, to think about. But yet, through that, for that period of time that they were going to go through more suffering, it would be nothing compared to the blessings they would receive one day. Even in the face of losing one's life, that was the point in Revelation 2.10, even if it cost, their, cost them their life, when they held a gun to their head and asked if they believed in Christ, at that point, they still had to make the decision to say... I believe in Jesus. I think of Paul and he says, For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain, which is far better. No matter what, God was going to be glorified in his life. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain, because he knew there was something greater than this life. The point is, we've got to continue on till the end. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24 it says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? Then he says, So run that ye may obtain. Every man strives for a mastery. Everyone that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Now there's something that I really find as a special phrase in this, in this verse. After it talks about a race... And we understand that, that there's more than one crown. All right, Understanding that God has a plan so that all can be saved. He talks about a race where one person wins and he says, So run. Meaning run as if you are the only person that can receive the gold prize. 
When you're talking about life, when you're talking about racing, when you're talking about going to heaven, you've got to give it your all. We think about practicing for a race. We think about practicing for different athletics. And we're doing it so that we can get bigger and stronger and faster than the other athletes. When we talk about Christianity, he says, so run. Run in a way that you can be better, faster, stronger. You can beat everyone else. Now, I'm not telling you that there's not going to be more than one that make it because there is more than one crown. But God's point is, run if, as if there was only one. There was only one to have. Fight to the end. Notice also 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, it says, henceforth there, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And then he goes on to say, but not for me only, but to all them who also love his appearing. There is a crown awaiting those that keep on running. We've got to endure to the end. That was the point in Revelation 2, verse 10, is as you sum up everything, he says, no matter what, don't turn back. Don't give up. Don't ever lay down the baton if you're running the race. Keep running. In 1 John chapter 2, and verse 25, it says, And this is the promise that he has promised unto us, eternal life. In the end, I promise it will all be worth it. That enduring, that ten days of tribulation and the tribulation that they've had even before this in Revelation chapter 2, it's going to be worth it because in the end we're talking about eternity, eternal salvation in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 25. I'm going to go ahead and skip over a few. Let's go ahead and look at the succeeding for Christ. The whole point is we have to succeed. In Revelation chapter 2, in verse 11, as he's closing down his letter to the church at Smyrna, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. What he means is you have an opportunity to listen. You have an opportunity to obey. You have an opportunity to do just this. He's talking to the church at Smyrna, and he's saying, you can make it through this period of time of tribulation. As I think about our lives, we've got ten days mentioned in Revelation chapter 2. If your whole life nothing ever went right and you lived to be a hundred, you've got a hundred years of misery, but yet you're living for Christ that whole time, it says, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. That hundred years doesn't count for much. It doesn't look very big in view of eternity. I know life has troubles. I know life doesn't always go the way we wish. And in fact, I wish that it always went perfectly. I wish that there was never a bad day. But yet, God has promised that tough times come to Christians. If you're living for God, there will be times where it gets very difficult. If you're living for God and you've never had tough times, beware. But if you think you've never had tough times, I would also say, be looking to make sure you're living for God. 
As we consider succeeding for Christ, to give up before the finish line is to lose everything. To give up before we make it to the end makes everything else we've done worthless, pointless. Troubles in life are going to be nothing compared to the glory that heaven is. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22 it says, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Then he says, But he that endures to the end shall be saved. There's salvation in faithfulness. In being faithful to God, not just for right now, not just for a moment, but for a lifetime. The one that endures to the end, no matter what it be, whether it be the point of where they are killed in Revelation chapter 2 verse 10, or whether it be the point of suffering for a long, long time. Be thou faithful and you can have salvation. Don't allow anything to hold you back. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 7, it says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you? What stopped you? You know, sometimes when I think about people, I've known people that have been faithful for a long time. I've known people that, that started out in... As young children, I've got friends that they started out and they lived a faithful life for, you know, a period of time and then they give up. He says in Galatians chapter 5 verse 7, you did run well. You did so good. You were running so well. But what happened? What hindered you? What stopped you? You know, as I was baptized as a young age and I've lived up to this point, it just seems, well... You know, I've still got, surely I'll live to be, uh, you know, 33 at least. So I could give up for uh, two years, and then I can come back around. It's a stupid thought to risk your eternal salvation knowing that life is so short. I've known people that lived a long time, 20 years, and then, I mean a long time as faithful Christians, after 20 years they decide that they're they're done and they go a different way he says in Galatians you did run well what or who did hinder you what stops you what I'm saying is today don't let anything hinder you from running the race don't let anything hinder you from making it to eternity in Revelation 2 and verse 10 the point is that they were going to suffer terrible things and it might even be to the point where they lost their life and he said, be faithful. What I'm telling you today is, be faithful. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, it says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What I'm telling you is, Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. If you put God as the number one, you can know in the end you will stand before God and hear those words well done thou good and faithful servant he that endures to the end my question is are you enduring if you've become a Christian and yet you've fallen off that path you've fallen from enduring to falling for sin if you're if you have fallen from the straight and narrow path there's a way back if you're already a Christian, I encourage you, make the changes in your life. Ask for the prayers of the church. Ask for the help of people that are around you so that you can be 
enduring to the end. But if you're not a Christian, I ask you, what does hinder you? Who hinders you? What stops you from putting God first? What stops you from making the commitment right now that will lead you to eternity in heaven in the end? Are you willing to change your life? Is there sin in your life? If you've got sin in your life, there needs to be a change. You've got to get that sin out of your life, giving your life, committing to Christ, being willing to confess Him before men, being willing to be immersed in the water where we find the forgiveness of sin, the remission of sins, the washing away, the purification, the Christian birth, the new birth in John chapter 3. If you haven't given your life to Christ, what or who does hinder you? I'm telling you today, no matter what, be thou faithful unto death, and you can receive that crown of life. No matter what it is in your life that holds you back, I promise heaven will surely be worth it all. If you haven't given your life to Christ, please come as we stand and sing.